Hi, I'm Jade Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair. Did you know you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts? Just search A Public Affair wherever you like to listen, and you'll never miss an episode. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Hello and welcome to a public affair or community conversation here on your community radio, WORT. I am your host today, Bert Zipperer, and I'm substituting for my dear friend, Alan Ruff, who is away today on assignment at an undisclosed location. Today, we're talking about public education in Wisconsin, and we invite you to call in with your questions at 608-256-2001. We have three really fabulous experts with us today, and I'm super excited. Um, First off is Christian Phelps, who is with the Dynamic Public Education Nonpartisan Advocacy Organization, the Wisconsin Public Education Network. He's the Director of Digital Communications and Organizing. He's been there since May of 2020. As you can tell, that was kind of like the COVID time um, in a big way. Prior to that, he was a special education assistant here in Madison and a member of the Madison Teachers Union, MTI, as well as a volunteer at WORT. Welcome, Christian. Thank you. This is so nostalgic to be on WORT as a guest. <laughs> this, is, this is great. And Christian's joining us from up north, Eau Claire area. Yes. Um, also with us in studio, we have to offer an in-depth local perspective are two of the great leaders of the Madison Teachers Union, MTI. We have Michael Jones, president of MTI for over two years now and a veteran teacher for over 15 years here in Madison. Michael, welcome. Uh, pleasure. It's great to have you. And Jeff Knight is the executive director of MTI. He's been a union organizer and a leader for many years, since 1996. Here in Madison and beyond, he's been executive director of MTI for over two years. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Bert. Thanks for having me on. And for full disclosure, I have to say I am a member of MTI Retirees, and I'm on the board of directors for that group after being an MTI member and school counselor for 30 years here in Madison. So I just wanted to be honest. There we go. So let's start off this discussion on public education in Wisconsin. Uh, Christian Phelps, um, Wisconsin Public Education Network just held its ninth annual summer summit in South Milwaukee just last week. Now there are over 400, there are 421 public school districts in Wisconsin and this summer summit focused on issues of importance to, I think every single district, um, focused especially on the recently passed and signed state budget. That was a major focus. And for the 16th year in a row, the budget failed to fund public education at the rate of inflation and created the largest increase for voucher schools in state history. Let's talk about this. What's your thoughts, Christian? Well, all of what you just said is true, and it's all very disappointing because we had an enormous opportunity this year. I mean, I, it's it's hard to overstate or even understand, frankly, the size of a $7 billion surplus. That means there were just $7 billion extra dollars sitting around in the capital that were already there, taxes already paid by Wisconsinites, just waiting to help kids and educators in public schools catch up with inflation, which they have fallen behind, as you said, for over a decade now. And, you know, the legislature passed instead a budget that totally flew in the face of that opportunity and completely disrespected the overwhelming majority of Wisconsinites who shared publicly their priorities, which were fund our public schools, 
close the gaps that have been created. And uh, instead, we got a, a budget that that fell behind inflation again, did not close the gap for special education kids in, in public schools. And like you said, was part of a broader deal um, that the governor and legislative Republican leaders struck that um, gave a huge giveaway of public dollars to private schools. So, so it was a disappointing outcome. So actually 40% of school districts in Wisconsin will receive less money next year from the state of Wisconsin than they did previously. Yeah, I, I kind of encourage people to, to, to kind of look into what the budget will mean for their local school district, you know, in, in Madison or elsewhere. Um, you know, based on some, some preliminary numbers released by DPI, that's true, but it looks like 39% of districts will get less money next year than they did the previous year. And that's despite the surplus that we had. And, um, you know, those numbers will just come into clearer focus as enrollment counts come in in the fall and everything. But And just for the record, that's 170 school districts mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. What's your thoughts, Michael? Well, I mean, being an educator for 15 years in Wisconsin means that you're used to disappointment, um, you know, especially when it comes to funding, whether... Uh, it's Scott Walker as governor or or uh, Tony Evers as governor, you would hope that uh, there would be some courage in terms of uh, doing the right thing, holding firm and uh, p- pushing forward a budget that helps our kids. Um, unfortunately, uh, that, you know, our leadership did not meet that moment. And so we are just We are just prolonging the inevitable of trying to of a decades long attempt to uh, to deconstruct public education here in Wisconsin, which obviously negatively impacts everyone, every Wisconsin citizen, but especially those who are most uh, marginalized and uh, underrepresented, whether we're talking people of color, people with disabilities, um, LGBTQIA plus uh, students and citizens you know i mean this is and especially at a time when a lot of our neighboring states are doing the exact opposite minnesota michigan illinois are all investing in public education increasing their investments in public education meanwhile wisconsin uh stands kind of alone and defiant in trying to uh, destroy its education system when well, you, you've been a special education teacher going way back it just occurred to me that for the last 16 years, the state of Wisconsin has not kept up with inflation to fund schools. That's your entire career. Your yes. entire career has been going backwards. And and as far as special education in Wisconsin, if the state of Wisconsin was to fully fund special education, that would have been $1.5 billion mm-hmm. of that $7 billion surplus. And they failed to do that. That gap still sits there. And w- what it does is it pushes... Um, it pushes the burden to the locals. So special education is required by law to be funded. The federal government has uh, abandoned its duty for the last 40 plus years because uh, they're supposed to be funding it at about 40 percent. And they kick it down to the state. Wisconsin uh, abandons its duty to fund special education adequately. So what that does is that puts additional pressure on every single local district. So a lot of times the districts have to take money from other areas in order to prop up special education and um, special education funding is, uh, you know, just bare bones just to get by. And so a lot of our children do not get the services they need or deserve by law 
Um, and then we also end up having to cut arts programs, mental health programs, other student support programs that actually makes school a worthwhile place to be. It means that we can't afford uh, renovations to our buildings, um, being able to pay workers adequately to have uh, you know adequate food, um, adequate shelter in the buildings. So that's it. It just kind of creates a cascading effect that impacts every single part of the school and our community because now kids aren't getting their needs met at school, which means which means it puts them more at risk in the community when they don't have a safe place to grow and become the best versions of themselves. Exactly, Jeff. What's your thoughts? Well, I just want to underscore the the how. how how difficult it is to hear that 40% of schools will receive less funding next year than they did this year, because that's on top of a $0 increase for two straight years during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, The state legislator made a, you know, made, made the excuse that the federal government uh, was, was providing one-time funds. But as we know, one-time funds are not going to uh, take care of the budget over the long run. And it's, and it's actually, it's, it's actually created uh, for a lot of school districts, a, a, a hole to fill because they've used that money to to cover operating expenses in some cases. I've, I've oftentimes referred to the legislature as deadbeat parents who are failing to support the children that are theirs and just walking away and saying, it's not my responsibility. Um, Christian, back to you. Um, talk about the summer summit, the, the other issues there. Yeah, so like you said, um, a week ago today in South Milwaukee, hundreds of partners of our network, um, some regulars and some new uh, gathered at the high school to dive into a theme that I think was particularly urgent because of this budget process that just wrapped up, accountability in action, we called it. And it's one of the sort of buckets that we try to root our advocacy work in and the support that we give people at the local level. How do you hold yourself accountable for speaking up when you have a chance and finding the courage that it takes to sometimes dive into tricky issues or have have the debates that are necessary? And how do you hold leaders accountable for like not doing what we all just outlined? And so um, there were a lot of really fruitful conversations about understanding school funding. You know, that step one is like there's this really complex beast that we're all dealing with, which is like this mismatched sort of hodgepodge, underfunding, you know, spending limit versus state aid versus property tax system (laughs) that we have. Um, And then, like, how does that sort of permeate the rest of the public school landscape in Wisconsin? You know, at this point, I'm just a community member, but I can see that if we continue to underfund our public schools, it's it's affecting kids in the schools right now. You know, if you're in second grade right now, you don't get a do-over at that, you know. So it, it affects kids right now, but it also affects every other aspect of our society. And that's kind of why I do what I do. Whenever I've tried to work on something else, it kind of just leads me back to public education because it is the foundational uh, institution that is necessary for, for the thriving society I want to see. And um, the conversations that we had last week were really just sort of like rooted in that that set of shared values of like, how do we not let this happen moving forward? How can we really hold leaders accountable for um, for putting kids in public schools first in their decision-making process and not, like you said, walking away from their constitutional and moral responsibility there. And listeners, I just want you to, just want to remind you, we're talking about public education in Wisconsin. We welcome your calls at 608-256-2001. We have with us Christian Phelps, 
of the Wisconsin Public Education Network. And from MTI, the local teachers union, we have the leadership of Mike Jones and Jeff Knight here in the studio, and we welcome your calls and your questions and comments. Um, I just want to throw it to Mike and, and to Jeff. Um, unions in Wisconsin, how many unions are certified now in the state of Wisconsin post-Act 10? MTI is, and officially, how many others are there? I'm not sure the exact number that is that are recertified uh, at this time. I don't know the yeah. total. It's def- I mean, you know, just in general, in the last um, 11, 12 years, we've definitely seen a sharp reduction in not only the number of unions who have recertified, but also the membership. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and that that is extremely purposeful. Yes. To, yes. to um, the more you isolate people, the more you... Uh, try to take uh, an axe to collective action and people coming together uh, as a community, and the more uh, the more likely you are able to, um, you know, uh, push forward your own agenda. Whether that's uh, excessive tax cuts, whether that's uh, you know stymieing social and racial progress, um, you know, I think you could draw a direct line to the reduction of union power in this state to things like um, the. You know the loss of uh, the rights of people with uteruses, mm-hmm. um, the loss of rights who are LGBTQIA plus, um, the loss uh, the loss of rights of people of color, especially Absolutely. when it comes to voting. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those get connect are can be connected to really um, actions that were done not just by Scott Walker but by his predecessors in terms of uh, delegitimizing and deconstructing. Um, collective actions and groups that work towards collective power. Because a lot of times unions are standing up for the rights of the students, size of class, you know, quality of education, um, and that's missing largely post Act Ten in a formal sense. Um, that's that's right. I, I think one thing, Bert, that that is really important is that um, you know, in in Madison, we're we're lucky we have a supportive community, a support a mm-hmm. supportive school board. In terms of uh, having um, collaborative approach uh, toward our schools, but in other places where that doesn't happen, that's that's just exacerbating uh, the teacher shortage. Uh, when you talk about speaking up for students, one of the things that unions do is they ensure that uh, teachers or educators cannot be punished, fired, or disciplined for speaking up. And uh, we know that it, it 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 happens anyway, but we are able to combat that. And in schools where there are, or in districts where there are no longer uh, just cause protections for teachers and educators, mm-hmm. uh, they're silenced. And we've seen teachers fired in Wisconsin for the Rainbow Land song. For the Rainbow Land song, for daring, you know, I mean, there's so many things being pushed by people who, ha- who have no um, experience being in a classroom or in a school environment, talking about removing lessons around empathy, talking about uh you know, describing slavery <laughs> as some sort of weird choice. Um, exactly. You know, all sorts of things that are meant to delegitimize and dehumanize other human beings and keep us more uh, isolated and separated from each other rather than coming together. And when you think of schools, where else in this society do do everybody, does everybody come together with the right to be there and you have a full participation. Well, that's why public schools are such a threat yeah. to um, to certain groups. And I think that's why you also see putting a lot of money into charters mm-hmm. and voucher schools because uh, those, you know, one of the things that makes me extremely proud to be 
involved in public education is, you know, I've served children and families who have literally just come here from mm-hmm. Afghanistan fleeing fleeing war, coming from exactly. Honduras, um, you know, and undocumented um, uh, children and families trying to find a trying to find a better life. And public education is one of the few places where they can show up, and it's like you're here, you're a child, you're in our community. You have the right. We, yeah, you have a right. We we love you. Um, that's not always the case at all education spaces and the more we isolate and we try to kick out we you know we bring in the ones we want we kick out the ones we don't want um you're going to see even more kind of segregation of of human beings in our community exactly so we're talking about public education in wisconsin with christian phelps mike jones and jeff knight and we have a caller on the line we have brad welcome to wrt brad thank you um I think a step towards progress would be to move to a system where legislators represent people instead of big money bribes. Um, it's like all these different areas I see where the, the big money wants to privatize schools, the VA, the prisons, the, mm-hmm. every, the post office. They want to try to get their hands on the, the money of the people, and too many people fall for this nonsense. I think you raise an excellent point, uh, Brett. Anything else, Brett? No, have a good day. Peace. Think, yeah, the, the whole idea of democracy and being represented by people, people being represented as opposed to money. Christian, you, you and I were talking yesterday, and you, you wanted to raise this point specifically, so take it away. Yeah, well, I mean, great point Brad has, because uh, democracy in public schools you know, I think we would all argue are neither can live without the other. <laughs> they are uh, they are the same thing in certain ways. And um, one of the one of the issue, one of the obstacles that stands in the way of people who are advocating for their public schools right now is the fact that our legislative maps are so gerrymandered that they have this like wildly out of proportion uh representation in the Capitol that actually does not reflect Wisconsin. I mean Think of the reputation Wisconsin has nationally as like a swing state, for example, a 50-50 state. Um, It it is a pretty segregated state, but in some places it's quite a diverse state. Um, The legislature is like a whisper away from single party rule, meanwhile. So like, tell me how that is an accurate reflection of the communities and students educators and families that attend their local public schools and want to see the best for them. It just isn't, you know, and so that actually isn't so much about individuals, um, you know, motivations. It's just about this like systemic challenge that we face. And so um, fair public school funding really isn't possible without fairer maps that actually create a representative legislature. Um, And I'm always very compelled by the difference uh, that, emerges in the way people feel about public education writ large, depending on, um, you know, who they're listening to versus their own local public school. Um, Because there's a there's a gap there. People, you know, Brad picks up on the fact that there are some big money interests who spread propaganda, slander educators, um, you know, that we've seen the uh, the sort of rhetorical attacks on the professionalism of our teachers in Wisconsin and, and the erosion of their their right to unionize um, and, and, you know, culture war stuff that emerges into the debate. 
and and some people do fall fall for that but uh when they're asked about the public school that their own kids attend and their own neighbors work at people love that school and they want to see the best for it and and we see those people all over the state urban rural and suburban wisconsin advocating for those schools so um we have a real opportunity, I think, to do better moving forward if we engage in democracy and and sort of model democracy the way that it can and should be done. Well, something that must that must terrorize Republicans a bit is that the spending caps, which limit what a school district can spend, can only be increased through referendum. And in the last fifteen years or so, there have been referendums countless times across Wisconsin, and majority, the vast majority of those pass where people say, yes, tax me more. I love this school. Um, that, that must put a bit of a chill in their, in their, in their shoes. Well, I, I don't know how people feel individually, but I will say, yeah, in 2022, we saw like a record high number of school referenda and we saw like a huge percentage of them pass. So like you said, when, when asked, do you want to pay more to fill the gaps left by the state that has abdicated this responsibility that isn't spending its surplus on your local public school. Will you fill that gap, taxpayer? Most of them said yes. Um, and then I think a big part, I would argue, a big part of the messaging that that sort of helped get those referenda over the finish line in 2022 was the state has a surplus that it's sitting on. And in 2023, it has an opportunity to invest that and make referenda obsolete. We shouldn't have to do this. And um, the, the referendum passage rate did dip pretty substantially in the spring of 2023. And I think part of it is that common sense is just so obvious. When there's money sitting around in Madison like that, we might as well spend it on public schools and make it so taxpayers don't have to dip into their own pockets at a time of inflation and economic hardship to fill those gaps that shouldn't have to exist in the first place. Exactly. Um, we have a new another caller on the line. And I'd like to welcome Ron to WRT. And Ron? Yeah, thank you for the show. Uh, I just want to uh, echo the idea that uh, referendums are a good way to combat these people who try to starve the schools uh, for funds, and uh, we should keep that up across the state. We should not give that up because they control the legislature. Largely the Joint Finance Committee uh, shuts down all the ideas for progressive public education and wants to try to starve the schools of funds. So I think we should be targeting the Joint Finance Committee. Those people sit on it. Those politicians are on it. And when those elections come up, go after them uh, as, as, and point out what, they do, what damage they're doing. And finally, I'd point out that uh, another way to get funds for the school would be to close the machinery and equipment tax uh, giveaway that we give to the uh, Chamber of Commerce here and across the state where they can write off all this kind of new equipment they buy and they don't have to pay any tax on it anymore. It used to be in the old days that the machinery and equipment tax was used to fund public schools, and uh, it's been taken out of the tax mix completely uh, by WMC, uh, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, which is another big enemy of public education. So I'd like to hang up and see what your guests say about that. Thank you. Ron, thank you so much. I'm going to turn this over to Mike Jones and Jeff Knight from MTI. Take it away. Well, I 
I love what <laughs> what was just said. I think that's you know, ironically, it's a lot of cutting off our nose to spite our face sort of behavior where uh, groups like the WMC, groups like the Tavern League, honestly, uh, will um, really try to deconstruct these uh, large entities because um, honestly, they think they can make more money off of like privatizing everything and making Wisconsin open for business. Although what a couple was it a day or two ago, we just saw Foxconn is announcing that they're selling their selling their offices. Oh, I thought Foxconn was supposed to be a huge economic driver. I think Scott Walker said something about that. Yeah, I think Scott Walker and our formerly and our former uh, indicted president. That guy, yes, uh, yes. yeah, uh, uh, said something about how this was going to be a huge economic boon. And I think WMC is less interested in actually the welfare of the state and more about lining their own personal pockets because a lot of these tactics are meant to uh, actually not help create more workers or create more industry um, and actually uh, encourage young people to actually stay in the state. It actually encourages them to flee to Minnesota, to Illinois, and to Chicago, states with higher tax rates, honestly, um, but they actually know there's more security, there's more support, they have more rights, um, especially if you're a person with a uterus. You know, I mean, you know, we are driving away lot uh, generations of young people out of the state uh, through this behavior and I don't I think it's an extremely short-sighted uh, tactic I mean you can even see that not even just k-12 education funding but how we fund uh, college our university system um, you know all throughout the state and we are going to uh, not just have uh, a great depression of like economic, ability but just also just uh just people staying yeah. around the staying around uh the state if you're not talking taking care of the kids the child care the preschool yeah. child care exactly. if, if you can't count on qual funding for quality education yeah why would families stay right jeff yeah i mean i, I agree with that and I, I i ron brings up a lot of good points i i like the idea uh that he discussed about having referenda in order to sort of stick it to the legislature and the Joint Finance Committee is is behind a lot of a lot of this, and as you talk, they're gerrymandered. So the referenda allow us to to go over that. But I I, I worry that in in districts where uh, they aren't so favorable toward the referenda or aren't willing to spend the money uh, from their own pockets, that that those kids are really being left behind even more. And that's a lot of unfortunately a lot of rural school districts. And and um, you know I I think that's where a lot of the campaign. Uh, almost has to be if we're going to see any change in the legislature through through the electoral process. I, I just read yesterday that 70% of Wisconsin's kids attend 30% of the schools. So the idea of rural schools and being more isolated is is a significant piece. Christian, there was a whole focus on rural schools at the summer summit last week. Um, anything you want to add to this? Um, I just I hope people understand how similar the challenges uh, that districts face are, regardless of the size of those districts. I mean, that was one of the things that stood out to me as I listened to the excellent experts and presenters that that joined us in South Milwaukee last week. You know, uh, we had administrators and educators from Milwaukee Public Schools, Madison, you know, and small districts like Adams Friendship that just passed a referendum this spring that was that was kind of a do or die referendum. I mean, I mean, some of these are like, you know, our district may or may not survive here. Um, and 
the the chorus of advocacy for the state budget this year was so resounding because districts of all those sizes had the same asks because they faced the same challenges. And so um, as complex as it all is, at the same time, it's almost like not. I mean, it's really like the, the, the solution is right in front of us and the, the choice not to uh, invest in public schools at the state level is um, just really an abdication of moral responsibility. From from the, the, the information I have here from DPI, Adam's friendship is slated to lose over 21% of its state funding in the coming year, um, as well as many other school districts. Um, just to, to highlight your, your example uh, of that. Um, l- let's bring in another subject, um, the whole idea of vouchers and charter schools. There's somewhere well over $400 million in this state that leave public schools to fund vouchers um, in total. Um, Let's talk about that for a little bit. Who wants to start that? Mm-hmm. Jeff, you want to go? Well, I mean, I, I, I can go. I think that um, the the amount of money and the increase in uh, the amount that's been allowed uh, for uh, covering voucher schools <laughs> is is continuing to have a, a significant impact on particular urban school districts. Um, just to, to highlight it, in Madison in 2018, uh, we spent $1.7 million funding private and voucher schools. Could, could you say that again? Uh, in 2018 and 19, the first year of this program that came to Madison, mm-hmm. uh, MMSD had to provide about $1.7 million to private and So that's uh, the public schools. schools paying yes. to the private schools. And the projection for 2023-24 is $8.3 million. So out of the budget that we assume is going to the public school kids is actually leaving there. That's right. And And one thing to add is that a lot of times um, what will happen is if a student isn't deemed a good fit at that school, they will be uh, surplused out and back into the public schools. Meanwhile, the uh, the that school, the original school, uh, gets the money and keeps the money. So we are ex- one thing that I've seen quite a bit, especially in Mad- MMSD. <laughs> Our students that are coming back, or we see students and families coming back in after uh, trying one of these schools, whether it's an online school or a local charter or a local voucher school, uh, because they were deemed not a good fit uh, because they might have had two or three behavior incidents, um, which is not, you know, one of the things about public schools is, you know, we don't really try to kick anyone out. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and especially as a special ed- education teacher, especially students with disabilities, students who need additional support and love and funding, um, you know, and, and cha- you know, might have their own challenges, are getting uh, sent back to us, which we will happily take them because we love them. But, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a shell so, game. So, so let, let's, let's just focus on this just for a little bit. You're saying that on the third Friday of September, which is the big counting day for the yeah. students, that's the number that you get money for mm-hmm. if, if they're in school on that third Friday. So a private voucher school counts you on the third Friday, and then on the fourth Friday, they can kick you up but keep the money. Yeah. 
And that's and that's true, not just in Madison, but in Milwaukee. I used to teach in Milwaukee, and that was a very big thing, was that all of a sudden we would see. So because our numbers, if your number at your school or at your location might have been considered low on Third Friday, all of a sudden you're seeing more children coming in, and you're not getting more teachers, you're not getting more staff, you're not getting more supports, you're not getting more money for food, you're not getting um, more money for transportation and all sorts of things. So... Um, you know, there's been a lot being made about how we've lost, how we've seen a reduction in enrollment in Madison. The truth of the matter is uh, some schools have, some schools actually see an increase between Third Friday um, in September and also in January because we do it again. Third Friday or it, yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, it's either the third or fourth Friday. It might be the fourth Friday, you're in, right. In January. But what happens is it becomes a, it becomes like a way to kind of like like a holding pattern so sometimes these counseling sessions don't happen until after the count because mm-hmm. then you can keep the money unless you so, make a r- real public stink about it so how much money are we talking per student that comes out of the public schools i'm who's got that christian figure? may have an answer to this uh I, I think my understanding is it's been increased uh significantly up to yeah. eleven thousand dollars per student yeah christian you, you have the figures there on the cost that comes out of the public schools to pay for vultures um, well, statewide last year was about $444 million mm-hmm. across the state. Um, so, the, and it, but it isn't equally spread out per student because there are multiple privatization programs. There's like Milwaukee and Racine have their own. And then there's a statewide parental choice program, which we're all paying for, um, across Wisconsin. Um, and the increases are kind of what's staggering in this year. I mean, the new, like you said, about 39% of school district, public school districts in Wisconsin are going to get less money next year than this year. Um, another amount are going to get a, a negligible change, and some are going to get more because there were some revenue limit increases um, uh, in the budget. Uh, meanwhile, the the use of public dollars on private high schools participating in the voucher program in Wisconsin are seeing like a 36% increase uh in the new budget um and so i just find that disparity to be entirely unacceptable i I think it's discrimination baked baked into the law there so the state budget has some certain which is a key legal concept sum certain um money so guaranteed money that's going to go to voucher schools guaranteed money that goes to charter schools and whatever is left is in the public schools is that essentially it Right. And with and with other things that make it uneven as well. I mean, the, yeah. the amount of money that stu- that districts are allowed to spend isn't necessarily uh, matched with an equivalent uh, increase in state spending. So what it really just means is that they're allowed to ask local taxpayers to give them more. Um, so it, it's very uneven. Yeah, I, I, I've always the, the revenue limits. The phrase revenue limits kind of makes me go crazy because there's no revenue there. It's a spending cap. So it says you can't spend more than that. Mike, I cut you off. I'm sorry. One thing also to add is that vouchers and privates also have angel investors. So yeah. you'll see, you know, your Pleasant Rollins, your um, your Diane Hendricks uh, fully fund some of these schools, um, you know, because, uh, you know, it adheres more to an ideology that they, they prefer, or, you know, and then they have an outsized uh, influence on what is taught or how it's how things are done at that school and you know i mean we have so many folks who are being marginalized i mean we have schools that are getting public funds that are openly 
you know, teaching about against LGBTQ uh, people with identities or saying that, uh, you know, people who identify as trans aren't real, <laughs> you know, are, are not are less than human or should be called by their by their dead names. Um, you know, and that's where our public tax money is going towards. Um, and that's that's something that we have to really keep an <laughs> keep an eye on because that's also not just something that's happening out there. That's happening here in Dayton County. That's happening in a lot of spaces um, that we think just because you know we're a predict, uh, particularly liberal or progressive area that that that's not happening. It's happening here, um, you know, and and we should be really really. Uh, cognizant and alert about that. So we are talking about public education in Wisconsin and all sorts of aspects regarding the funding and, and dynamics of what's going on statewide with Christian Phelps of the Wisconsin Public Education Network, with Mike Jones and Jeff Knight of the Madison Teachers Union, MTI. And we invite you to call at 608-256-2001. Join the conversation. And right now, Tom is on the line. And Tom, welcome to WRT. Thank you for the program. Yeah, my comment was that the Republicans basically don't want people educated. They only want a little elite class to run everything, and so that's why they are opposed to, like, uh, building the uh, uh, school at the university and so forth. And I think this can be shown because of uh, how all the Republicans, particularly, uh, think Donald Trump is another god or something so in other words the people who get educated they realize that educated is is not only serves the public but also serves the individual as it makes their life much better and so um that is my comment that I had, and thank you for the program. Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks for your call. It reminds me of Anastasio Somoza of Nicaragua, who was famous for saying, I don't want educated people. I want oxen. <laughs> Mike, take it away. Um, I, I'm i going to gently push back on just one thing, just because in terms of painting people with a, dry, with a broad brush, I, you know, um, I say this as a fully formed liberal, like uh, Democrat, is that, you know, I've had conversations as I've done advocacy work. I'm pretty sure Christian and Jeff have had the same experience where I've gone to the Capitol, talked to Republican legislature legislators who individually are very reasonable people want like strong public schools um, have, you know, were raised through public schools, have family members in public schools. But then when it comes to groupthink or when they get to the place, the, the truth of the matter is when it comes to like gerrymandering or who's actually financing a lot of their campaigns, a lot of that money isn't really coming from other Wisconsin Republicans. It's coming from outside influences and what what happens is a lot of people will behind closed doors say, hey, this is a really good idea. This will really help me. This will help my community, my rural community, my suburban community, my urban community. But I can't go out there on the floor and vote for it. And I think we've we've had a lot of um, we've even seen a lot of like Republicans who have been supportive of public education um, either stay silent or be silenced or be kicked out because then all of a sudden they're called a Republican in name only or, you know, they're called, you know, they're they run afoul of the more uh, radical members of of that ideology. So I just kind of want to call that out just to make sure that, you know, in the same way as a black man, as an Asian man, um, as a liberal, I, you know, I, I, I abhor being stereotyped 
Um, I don't want to stereotype every single conservative um, who has a certain ideology or viewpoint. But that being said, there's a lot of silence <laughs> in terms of, you know, wanting to do what's for the public good um, because that's not where the money is. Um, let's pivot on that. Jeff, did you have something you wanted to add? Well, I'm, no, no I, I can I can I'm sure get to the point in another another segment because, well, I guess here's what I'm going to say the part of the redistricting or the the um, gerrymandering is that as as we've all heard it, it creates more extreme uh candidates and and if you so what we're seeing is those extreme candidates now are are running the joint finance committee and they are they are making the more moderate republicans you know kowtow to their to their uh wishes and i think that's just another one of those uh very negative impacts of having gerrymandered districts we don't have competitive races so the moderates who who may uh, really work toward uh the common good are not even considered viable candidates anymore so um, two years ago, when the state budget passed um, and passed the funding for education, it was team. It was termed a bipartisan effort because some Democrats supported it. Um, with all the organizing this past year, not a single Democrat supported in the legislature, assembly or senate, supported this budget. Um, and we've got the 160 school districts that are sitting here officially losing money. Christian, you raised a point in a previous conversation that's important to know what's going on perhaps behind the scenes in the Capitol right now because this defunding of public education is starting to hit home for some people all across Wisconsin in, in a way that it didn't happen before. Take it away. Yeah, you're right. First of all, not no Democrats in either chamber of our state legislature voted for this budget. Um, and in fact, two Republicans voted no on it. Um, so the only bipartisan emergence there was opposition to this budget proposal. No, no, just officially, um, I, I saw Wisconsin Public Education Network do incredible organizing for the past many months, years, and I think you should, um, we should all thank Wisconsin Public Education Network for the effort that you did to highlight what was happening in the education funding and resulted in this. So thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but I, I. I do kind of want to push back and clarify that what I think we did a good job of this year was amplifying what people were already saying. Okay. And um, so we did make it very clear and we saw we saw a lot of coverage of it and we saw acknowledgement of it within the Capitol that um, public school funding increases in public school funding were the most common uh, priority that people raised at all four Joint Finance Committee budget hearings, which were in many different parts of the state, some of which would be characterized as very conservative. Um, and uh, and the, the asks were so uniform. People wanted an inflationary increase in spendable dollars to public schools. They wanted to see the gap closed in how much we fund special education for public and private schools. And those were the two most common things that people raised. And so when the budget that, that came out of the committee didn't include those things and was just like so blatantly oppositional to them, um, it became very politically unviable to support that, I think, in a lot of in a lot of circles, and so so that is encouraging. I will also sort of bolster what um, what Mike and Jeff just said uh, previously, which is that um, you know people are really paying attention right now, and they're making it clear where the public stands on this issue. And so even though we aren't getting it in the immediate, um, I personally feel like we're seeing some traction around these issues. And um, two Republican legislators are currently circulating a bill that would um, that would. Uh, and a what what it currently exists as a penalty on school districts that saw a failed operational referendum in recent years that says they can't access an increase in their spending cap 
for the next three years. So they were going to be left behind further even than some other districts in the in the current changes. Now that isn't law yet. It, is, it doesn't even have a bill number yet. Um, but that is a, a GOP led bill um, that I think is a, is a response to the sort of public outcry that people are saying, whoa, 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 we asked for X, Y, and Z. Those were nonpartisan asks and we didn't get them. And now on top of that, some of our districts are going to be penalized even further just because we couldn't reach into our pockets and, and pay for it twice in the last three years. So, so I'm seeing some movement there. So Christian, can you focus on that a little bit? If a school district goes to referendum for operating to be to raise a spending cap for operating revenue and it fails. Let's talk about Beloit. What, what's happening in Beloit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Beloit is, um, is a district that already had a low spending cap. And so uh, these are arbitrary, arbitrary caps that were imposed in 1993, which just for context is the year I was born and I'm turning 30 this fall. Um, and so there, you know, two full generations of kids have gone through public schools in Wisconsin with these these mismatched caps in place based on nothing, essentially not based on student need. Um, they also had an operational referendum that uh, did not pass uh, within the last year. So that was going to leave them further behind. They also are a district that um, that that uh, pays extra for some privately operated schools uh, in their backyard and obviously like the rest of us pay for uh, you know voucher programs that are statewide and so like it's kind of this perfect storm it's not the only district in that circumstance but um it's it's a notable one because you know that combination of three facts really sets you so far behind that it's hard to hard for districts to navigate like like what do we do here exactly hey um we have pat on the line let's let's bring pat into the conversation and pat welcome to wrt Thank you. I guess my question is, um, there was earlier a conversation about referenda and how that might be the way out of this problem. The question I have about referenda is, do the private schools, voucher schools, do they get a cut from those referendas, or is all the referenda money go to the public school? I'll hang up and listen online. Thank you, Pat. Let, let's, let's see who's got the answer to this. Uh, that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. Hi, Pat, by the way. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I think that money just flows through the budget, and I think the district owes the amount they owe based on the formula to the private schools. So I, I don't, to the extent that it's part of the overall budget, yes, some of that money would go, but not additional money as I understand it. Mike? And usually what that means is, like, for instance, uh, where Madison Metropolitan School District is one of the school districts that's going to be getting less money to roughly around the tune of around $10 million less uh, from our state, uh, even though as I'm a, as a homeowner, my taxes have definitely not gone down as a result of this. Um, I think what that leads to is uh, we you might see in a, a local influx of money, but then that means less state funding or less money from the state, which means all of a sudden the district has to still again, once again, make decisions in terms of cuts, cuts to, and it's usually not cuts to, you know, what you might directly see in the classroom, but it might be instead of having a class, uh, you know, a hundred fourth graders and having, you know, five sections of fourth graders, you might all of a sudden now cut that to four sections, which increases the number of kids in your classroom, which means less one-on-one -on -one support that your kid might get in that classroom. So um, 
you know, even if things are getting funded, that's why we need to make sure we are hitting um, and really advocating at all three levels of our government because uh, there's all sorts of mechanisms, even in a, uh, a city like Madison, where um, we have very supportive community members and a very supportive board and people who want to do the right thing and people are willing to invest, you know, still getting still getting messed with by by their state. Well, in the in the five minutes we've got left, I have a question from Tina that just got handed to me. Um, here's here's the focus. What can ordinary people do personally to help public education right now? What's your recommendations? What's the best thing that people can do or the best things that people can do? I would say a few things uh, that people can do every day. One is actually show up to your public schools. Um, we are in desperate need of volunteers um, at a lot of schools in terms of supports. I think also uh, believe in, 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 in the value of public education. There's a lot of negative stuff um, that comes out around uh, our school district and things like that. There's a lot of brilliance and a lot of beautiful things also coming out of Madison Metropolitan School District. And I say this as someone who publicly makes a lot of <laughs> um, uh, complaints about the district um, is that, you know, there's still a lot of great work happening, a lot of great teachers, a lot of great, a lot of great administrators, a lot of great families coming together to support schools. And ultimately, our kids are great. Yeah. And and let's show up for for our kids. Let's not believe whatever a Zillow report says in terms of what the school says. Let's not believe um, when you see a fight on madison.com that there's that that school is somehow uh, a terrible school and all those kids are are this or that it's like we have we have some real we have a lot of brilliant young people a lot of good energy in all of our public schools and that's not just like a madison thing that's across our country so uh, believe in public schools and it's a sacred thing the idea of that right the constitutional right and there may be some constitutional cases coming to the Supreme Court mm -hmm. regarding the, the right to education in Wisconsin. Jeff? I was just going to say the other part of it is, you know, obviously vote, uh, give money to candidates that are pro-public education, uh, talk to your friends and family that may be outside of, uh, you know, a, a gerrymandered district uh, or outside of Madison uh, about voting, voting for candidates that support public education, and just being an advocate, being an advocate uh, to your friends, family, and neighbors. Christian? I totally agree. Um, and I, I think just sort of model democracy, you know, live in the messiness that is an institution that unites all of us in the way that it does. Um, show up and applaud the great things that are happening. Show up and advocate for the things that you want to see changed. I mean, a public education system is the one that has built into it mechanisms for real public participation and advocacy for for the kids and educators that sort of bring those public schools to life so if more and more people are engaging in the day-to-day -day work of talking to their neighbors about it at the school board meeting going to the school you know doing the applause doing the accountability you know and sort of modeling what this what what the institution can and should be um i think it's it's going to become harder and harder to sort of disagree with that vision yeah i'm, I'm struck i've been struck by historically both here as well as in other countries I've visited around the world, whereas people develop communities, one of the first things they do is build a school mm -hmm. because they're building this community for the future. This is for, and the kids are the future and fully funding that. It's a, to me, a very sacred thing. We've only got a couple of minutes left. What have we missed? 
I mean, a lot. Okay, I'll, I'll be honest. But la- last words, um, what, what do you want to make sure we, we don't forget to mention? Well, I, I guess one, a cu- couple things. Uh, one, and Christian, you could probably speak to this too, but my understanding is that uh, uh, vouchers for special needs students in private schools will be funded at 90%, and public schools are funded for special education at 33%. Christian, take it away. True, and uh, that puts us at... Uh, by some metrics, the worst in the nation at funding special education uh, in public schools. Um, And and yes, but special needs vouchers are funded at 90 percent by the state. Um, If I could just add quickly, I do have in front of me the uh, the Wisconsin Constitution. And so I'll just as a as a non-lawyer, but a person who can read, I think it's (laughs) worth people knowing that Article 10 of the Wisconsin Constitution includes the phrase the legislature shall provide by law for the establishment of district schools, which shall be as nearly uniform as practicable, um, a free and without charge to all children between four and 20, and no sectarian instruction shall be allowed therein. So that's a great place to start. Let's advocate for that. You know, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we should get there, and that will at least bring us to meeting our constitutional responsibilities. I just want to quickly add that special education IEPs in the public school do not need to be honored after they go with the money to the private vulture school. Mike, what have we missed? Uh, also, they sometimes require that the public school special education teacher or service provider actually goes to the private school to provide the service for the child at the private school. And a lot of times um, those children still end up back at the public school because uh, their needs aren't being met and something happens or they just not considered a good fit for the school. We should not have schools that require children to fit into the school. We should be fitting around the needs of our children. It's the right. That's and that that's their right and that's that's uh, what our focus should be on. The right to public education in Wisconsin. This let's do this again. I've really enjoyed this. So everybody we've had Christian Phelps of the Wisconsin Public Education Network, uh, Mike Jones and Jeff Knight of Mass Teachers Incorporated and you. So thank you so much for being here. I want to thank Jack, the engineer who made it all happen. Jade, who is the brains behind the operation. Sholly, who is fabulous. And Ricky out front making sure it all works. Thank you for being here today. And thank you three for being my guests. And we will see you all again soon. Have a good day. We come and listen and support it. Live and direct, we come and never be recorded. With information that would never be reported.